Good evening, everyone. I'm Dinah Jansen, and you are listening to CFRC 101.9 FM, and this is a special broadcast of the Kingston and the Islands All Candidates MP debate hosted this morning, October 3rd, 2019, by the Greater Kingston Chamber of Commerce at the Renaissance event venue on Queen Street from 8 to 9.30 a.m. In this special broadcast, you'll hear Mark Gerritsen, incumbent MP and Liberal candidate, Barrington Walker, the NDP candidate, Ruslan Yakovichuk from the Conservative Party, Candace Christmas from the Green Party, and Andy Brooke of the People's Party of Canada respond to questions related to issues including simplified tax laws, federal deficit management, enhancing business prosperity in the region, solutions for housing shortages in the region, policies to address climate change, military spending, health and pharmacare, supporting post-secondary education, the impact of climate change and precipitation on shoreline homes and businesses, and support plans for small business owners. There's just over an hour and a half of recorded footage from today's event, and we'll play a few local music selections to serve as an intermission. But let's dive right in right now with the Kingston and the Islands All Candidates MP debate right here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Good morning again, everyone. My name is Karen Cross. I'm the Executive Director for the Chamber of Commerce. On behalf of our members, staff, and board, thank you for coming this morning. Today's conversation with our candidates running for MP for Kingston and the Islands will provide us with an opportunity to hear from them on how this federal election will impact us locally. Our morning will flow as follows. So here's the rules of the morning. All candidates will begin with a three-minute opening statement. Order of speaking was determined by a random draw at the chamber office. At closing, candidates will speak in reverse for a one-minute closing. At um, about 8.15, we will begin one. I'll begin the first of six questions provided from the Kingston Chamber of Commerce membership along with our advocacy committee. Each candidate will have one minute to respond. At approximately 8.45, we'll welcome questions from the audience. Your questions can be no longer than one minute, and it is not... It is to be a question and not a statement. I would ask that you put your hand up, identify yourself, and direct your question to your desired candidate. They will take one minute to respond. So that's basically how we're going to try and run this morning and see how hopefully that works for us. Um, At this point, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome to our sponsor today, Jason Selnick, partner at MNP LLP, to say a few words. Thank you, Karen Cross, Bill Stewart, Andrew Sapiano, and others from the Chamber of Commerce for hosting this opportunity here from our local candidates. I want to thank each candidate for vying for the responsibility to being our federally elected official and the duty of public service. It's a very important position, and I truly thank you for what you guys are doing, what your families are going through right now. I want to speak briefly about two things. First is relate to public debt. I'm very concerned about the level of our public debt provincially and federally. I want to acknowledge that not all debt is bad. For example, debt that pertains to infrastructure projects where we pay for investment over a series of years is good planning and not unlike having a mortgage. However, we are incurring deficits to pay for current expenses. It seems more common that governments use debt to GDP ratio as a rationalization for why additional deficit financing is acceptable. I've always believed this is a risky way to justify borrowing even prior to the 07-08 financial crisis. The reason being that is if there is a negative shock to our economy, our denominator of the ratio goes down, i.e. our GDP, that our ratio then gets blown. In a high debt country, declining GDP is a slippery slope. Where investors view an economy as a risky place to invest, 
They pull their investments and it sharpens the decline. Consider Greece's situation for a moment. 1909 to 2008, sorry, 1909 to 2008, Greece had on average a lower debt to GDP ratio than Canada. Since 08, it's well documented the financial crisis that has befallen Greece and the related austerity. Before we begin to think that increasing tax rates is the answer, consider that for 2016, there was a 4% tax rate increase on those Canadians who make the highest income. Note that taxing top rate income is not the same as taxing wealth. This 4% tax increase was projected to raise an additional $3 billion of tax, government revenue, but the CRA reported that it was actually a decrease of $4.6 billion less tax collected. I believe that substantially all Canadians are paying the max amount of tax they can bear and willing to pay. For economists out there, this tax limit is called the Laffer Curve. I also believe it is important that we talk about inequality of wealth. Two world wars occurred because of our inequality of wealth was at the highest point, and we are now approaching that same level of inequality. However, income level and wealth are two very different concepts. It's important we get that. For example, if you have a business that makes, borrows 300,000 from the bank, makes no money in year one, and in year two makes $300,000. That sole proprietorship in year two, would you say it's wealthy? No, after paying tax, it's still in the hole. But our tax system treats that sole proprietor the same as someone who might have a million dollars, $10 million, $100 million. They're not the same. We've got to think about them differently. Taxing income instead of wealth only prevents the current generation who are working hard from becoming wealthy. If you want to deal with inequality of wealth, deal with wealth. But before you begin to tinker with our tax system in any significant way, think tax changes and unintended consequences. There is 99% of our population that cannot afford to pay more tax. So for the vast majority of our population, you cannot simply layer on another tax without relieving tax in another area. Our tax system is very complex. Today, I ask all of our local candidates to consider who is going to pay back any planned deficit spending. Further, when we create debt today, doesn't this mean that there may be austerity tomorrow? Further, when we create debt today, doesn't this mean that this future austerity, this future austerity, will the governing party that's spent, will they cast blame inwardly when they're looking at when that austerity is being implemented? Or will they look to the party that's doing it and blame them? One of my greatest fears is that who's, those who do not have a vote today are going to be left holding the debt bag. This is very unfair. Who could blame a young Canadian from judging all of us in this room harshly? The second thing I want to discuss is some disturbing statistics from a September 2019 Ipsos poll. I know I'm full of good news this morning. 61% of Canadian respondents agreed traditional political parties don't care about people like them. Increase of 5% since 2016. 52% agree that society is broken. Increase of 15% since 2016. Two-thirds believe the economy is rigged to benefit the rich. Increase of 8% since 2016. And 41% of respondents believed immigrants are taking away crucial social services from real Canadians. This last stat is the most concerning to me. We need a society that is inclusive and intolerant of racism. Immigrants have made significant contributions to Canada we experience. I would bet most of us in the room have grandparents or great-grandparents who immigrated to Canada and made important contributions. I asked a local pharmacist and a local physician about social programs that are implemented locally. The pharmacist who works in the 11th poorest neighborhood in Canada, which is in our city, has served about 30,000 patients. Half of those 30,000 have an Ontario drug card, so if you got, that's free medication. He says almost none of those are immigrants. Another physician who fills out ODSP forms about three a week. 
Um, none of those are for immigrants, he says. So it is not, the, I truly believe people who immigrate here are helping us spin the wheel. To me, being Canadian is not simply where one is born, but rather an attitude of helping your neighbor or someone you do not even know, or being part of something bigger than yourself. It is an attitude of making your country and your community better and being open-minded about individual differences. I meet immigrants all the time, and I can tell you they are truly Canadian. I'm almost done. Based on my many conversations I've had on national matters, the survey results are very consistent with those conversations. We need all political parties and those representing them those in government, those in opposition, to convince Canadians that they are working for all Canadians and not their party with a view of building trust with Canadians. I, wish, I truly wish all of you the best of luck with your campaigns. I thank you once again for your pursuit of public service and you know, know that whoever is successful, we, we expect a lot from you. Thank you all for enduring my positive viewpoints this morning. I, <laughs> on this note, I think I better quickly exit as I've probably outworn my five minutes. Thank you, Jason. So first, introductions of the candidates. And the names were drawn by random, as we noted. So the first uh, candidate to speak, Barrington Walker from the NDP. My name is Barrington Walker, and I'm the NDP candidate for Kingston in the Islands. Thank you all for having me today and for the opportunity to speak with you. I would like to also thank the Chamber for this opportunity, as this is a pivotal time in our country's history. You and your members are an important part of the civic, social, and cultural fabric of the city. And the NDP recognizes that small business, uh, and medium-sized business in particular, are one of the, some of the most important drivers of the economy. The NDP is committed to helping small and medium-sized businesses by easing the tax burden and expenses that small businesses have to incur, promoting fair trade, and supporting high-tech industries and innovation. We also, however, believe in making targeted investments in services such as healthcare, pharmacare, infrastructure, job training, and supporting a low-carbon, high-tech industry. These are the sorts of social investments that we feel are necessary to provide the conditions under which the city can grow and flourish. We are committed in investing in people and communities because while we feel that the current government has done some good work in these areas, there, there's still some work to be done to restore some balance after years of neglect from conservative governments. We do not want to see the failure of vision with the Ontario, Ontario government with regards to social investments repeated at the federal level. In short, we don't believe that we can afford more Ford. But while we, were low, while we will lower some of the costs associated with running small businesses, we are going to also ask large corporations to pay a little bit more to help us pay for the social and infrastructural investments that we need, that we so desperately need. We need to invest in each other particularly our youth. Through making investments again in housing, education, healthcare, and infrastructure, by making our tax code more fair and equitable, we want to also ensure 
that in, in the context of doing this, we also make sure that Kingston remains a welcoming place because we also believe, as our speaker said off the top, that immigrants are also vitally important to the future of Kingston, vitally important to our economy. And much of the future of the success of this city is gonna rely on us being able to attract newcomers to the city. So again, I'm Barrington Walker. I'm your NDP candidate on October 21st. Vote NDP, thank you. Our second speaker is Mark Gerritsen. Thank you very much, and thank you to the uh, Chamber for organizing uh, uh, the debate this morning. It's great to be here with you uh, and to be able to address you and talk a little bit about uh, um, the Liberal Party and what we've been able to accomplish over the last four years and where we're looking to move forward. I'll start off by saying that uh, um, over the last four years, I believe that we've seen real change in our, in our country. 800,000 fewer Canadians now live in poverty compared to four years ago. Our economy is one of the fastest growing economies in the world and um, our unemployment rate is the lowest it has been since we started recording it in the 1960s. And you can tell that, ask the candidates here how difficult it was to find a campaign office. It was very challenging to find empty space, uh, in particular along the, the corridors in Kingston on Bath Road and Princess Street because all the space seems to be taken up. They're occupied, they're being rented. Personally, I've been very proud of the fact that I've been able to deliver on two things that I promised in 2015. The first was to reopen the prison farms in Collins Bay and Joyceville, um, providing um, real uh, rehabilitative uh, um, tools for inmates to become productive members of society. And the second thing is uh, uh, funding for the third crossing of the Cataraqui River. The federal government has contributed its $60 million to that project, and we're looking forward to the completion of that in a few years from now. As we look, thank you. As we look forward uh, um, into what we are setting out to accomplish uh, in the next four years, one of those things is pharmacare. We want to bring in a national pharmacare plan um, that will cover all Canadians, just like our uh, Medicare plan currently does. So when you go to the pharmacy, you'll get your pres prescribed medications um, in the same free manner that you would get Medicare. And you're probably saying you know, to this particular crowd, well, what does that mean for small businesses? Well, for starters, you won't have to buy that insurance that you're currently um, paying partial uh, or all to for your employer, for your employees. We want, we've actually done a study that reveals it'll be about $5 billion cheaper for a national pharmacare plan instead of the individual insurance companies um, and the government kicking in where it does. So it actually makes economic sense to do that. And also as we look uh, um, you know, towards the future, uh, one of the big and key things for the Liberal Party and for me is what we're, how we're going to address climate change. Not just how do we slow it down, because if you're a believer of climate change in this room, you realize that our climate is changing and it's also about reacting, but it's about investing in uh, Kingston and investing in infrastructure. In 2017 and 2019, we saw what the high water levels did to eroding um, uh, the erosion of the, the, um, the shoreline in Kingston. The federal government recently invested $14 million in helping the city and city council to rebuild that shoreline. Utilities Kingston, I see Jim Keech is here today. The federal government has invested money in helping uh, utilities Kingston and the city of Kingston separate uh, our storm and sewer uh, uh, systems in downtown Kingston, which is causing basements to back up when there's excessive rain coming down. So 
Um, you all know who I am. I'm sure I've met most of you. I'm Mark Gerritsen. I'm running uh, to, for re-election as a Liberal candidate, and I look forward to your questions after this. And next up is Candace Christmas. Thank you. Thank you to the Chamber for inviting me. Um, there's a lot of faces I have not seen in a long time. Uh, I'm sure a few of you are wondering, now she's in politics. Um, so a bit of background. Uh, I did work in economic development from 1994 until 2003. Uh, I was the uh, Director of Marketing for the Ontario East Tourism Association and then the Director of Marketing and Product Development uh, for KEDCO during Gary's reign. Good times. Those are really good times. Um, anyway, uh, I ended up um, going, moving on to Queen's with the School of Business and then on to a career in health uh, with the Population and Public Health Institute and then um, the, school, uh, sorry, the family medicine. And I ended up doing my graduate work because, quite frankly, the problems that we face in society today are very complex. And so I've spent the past six years doing my PhD uh, in health policy, studying political economy at York University, and commuting back and consulting in the health field as well. So one of the things I want to highlight is, I think the credentials at the grassroots of who you're looking at with respect to the candidates. I have the experience in terms of developing small and medium-sized enterprises. I also have the education in terms of understanding how the system works uh, regionally, provincially, federally, and internationally. So I just wanted to highlight that. The reason why I got into politics was because of Greta Thunberg. Um, the environmental crisis is real. And so when I hear even the term, for those of you who believe in the, the environmental crisis, uh, I shudder a bit. So what I want to do today is really show how the Green Party platform will show you how tackling the climate, climate crisis is actually great for business. I've been very frustrated over the past two decades to see how Canada time and time again keeps investing in extraction industries while Europe is taking off in terms of building green economies. The Greens are a grassroots party. We fundamentally believe in the importance of small and medium-sized enterprises. Those are the generators of jobs in this country. We pay far too much attention to the mega international corporations and we spend far too much money supporting them. So the green platform that I'm going to be talking about today uh, is going to be looking at environmental sustainability, but how we can drive our economy into the 21st century. That will involve for Kingston numerous opportunities, uh, also to uh, linking with our hinterland. So one of the things that I, I was very keen on when I was in economic development was looking at our, our farmers and producers around Kingston and how we can create uh, new business opportunities here in the city, but also for our farmers. I'll plant one seed in your minds, hemp. It's great for carbon sequestration, but uh, also has a whole myriad of other uh, applications. And so we need to think about not only producing, but manufacturing hemp. So uh, I have lots to tell you about the Green Party. Is Our platform is so exciting, and I am very proud to be here to represent the Green Party, but I also hope that you will think of me, Candace Christmas, as that person who fought for you years ago in your businesses. I'll do it again. Thank you. Thank you, Candace. And up next is our Conservative candidate, Ruslan Yakovish. I, I know I have a name a little bit difficult, Yakovichuk. 
Thank you. I would like to say thank everybody for this opportunity. Uh, first thing, I would like to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Ruslan Yakovichuk. I know I have the easiest name from all candidates. And I'm also English, my seventh language. So I will try to speak slowly, clearly, make sure everybody understands me. I immigrated to Canada in 2005 under conservative government, under skill program as a Finnish carpenter. And, and I have with me my one-year-old baby and my wife. So after I immigrated here, I start work the next day, and I don't have opportunity to take um, school for English. Uh, when I came, they, they told me, you're not allowed to go on employment. You got to work. I came here to work and succeed and make better life. And I'm very happy and lucky being in Canada and call myself proud Canadian. So I work here as a Finnish carpenter. Then after I work with local labor union as a carpenter. So that was great experience, work with unions, see how they go in struggling and how hard work they work. So for people to understand how, how people work hard, you have to work with them for one day. Then after I came here always to start my own business in my back, my head. So finally, in 2009, I start my own business with one man who was me. <laughs> but then I grow to over 12 employees on payroll. So I start grow big. Then something happened. Liberals came to the power and life get expensive. So. Uh, I lay some people off, and um, then I decide to run for the office. First of all, give something back to this country, because this country was giving me chance, opportunity, and I achieve all my dreams, and my family here safe, and they have a bright future, and I'm very, very happy. So I just want to do something for this community, for this country, for this constituency, and represent everyone equally and unite Canadians, not divide. So a conservative party stands, uh, our priority affordability. We all know the life very expensive. And we will focus to lower uh, tax, personal tax, small business tax, we actually have a real plan for environment, so I believe we have the best plan for the Canadian people. Thank you. My name is Ruslan Ekovichuk, so I'm ready for your questions. And last but not least, Andy Brook. Testing. I'm Andy Brook, your candidate for the People's Party of Canada for Kingston the Islands. As an RCMP officer for more than 28 years, I defended the rights and freedoms of all Canadians. Make no mistake, those same qualities are within me still today. And should voters send me to Parliament, I will continue to stand up for the people of Kingston and the Frontenac Islands. 
I'm with the People's Party of Canada and Maxime Bernier because we are the only party that believes in limited government and trusts you to live your own lives. We believe in personal responsibility, individual freedom, fairness and respect for all Canadians. And the status quo has been favoring the needs of the few at the expense of the rights and freedoms of the many. On the issues, I stand firmly on our Canadian values and our Constitution. On veterans, my heart issue, I believe in honoring the sacrifices of every veteran and returning to one veteran, one standard. We will do what has never been done before in Canada's history, that is, enshrine in legislation our sacred commitment to our military and our veterans in a military covenant. On making everyone's life more affordable, we will lower income taxes and introduce a flat tax. We will make everyday groceries like milk, poultry, and eggs less costly. <clears throat> on government spending, we would stop corporate bailouts like those to print media and cut wasteful spending while funding the services you need and expect. On the environment, we will eliminate the carbon tax. We will pull out of the Paris Agreement. It is a fable. We don't believe Paris is the solution to the local and global environmental issues we now face. We will address our serious environmental issues right here in Canada, like delivering clean drinking water to remote First Nations communities. Indigenous issues are inscribed on my heart. My two daughters are First Nations. A People's Party government will commit to freeing our economy from interprovincial trade barriers. I ask you, are we one nation or 13 cliques? Section 91.2 of the Constitution gives Ottawa the authority to regulate international and interprovincial trade. We would appoint a Minister of Internal Trade to ensure the application of the principle of mutual recognition. Only Ottawa can make us citizens and not strangers on this issue. To make a citizen of one a citizen of the whole. We will reassert federal jurisdiction over pipeline construction by invoking Section 92.10 of the Constitution and declaring that a project that affects two or more provinces is in the general advantage of this country. Finally, we will implement sustainable immigration policies to prioritize skilled immigrants and invite genuine refugees into the country while stopping illegitimate asylum seekers from jumping the queues while sitting safely in the US. I'm passionate about Kingston and the islands and I'm excited to see this community thrive. My name is Andy Brook and please on October 21st, I ask for your vote. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Now the questions from the chamber membership and the advocacy committee. And a reminder, you have responses for one minute. Each of you will respond to each question. So the first question is, and it's a going, starting with uh, Mark. Do you think it is important for the elected government to simplify tax laws for Canadians? So the question uh, about simplifying the tax laws. Um, yeah, I, I think that it, uh, um, it's time that we overhaul the tax system to start from the beginning uh, and to uh, look at everything in a, from a holistic perspective as opposed to just looking at individual uh, parts and sectors of it. It's been 40 or 50 years since we attempted to do that. Uh, I believe it was the uh, first Trudeau government that attempted to do that and they were uh, not successful uh, because of uh, a lot of the outcry from Canadians. Um, but it's only become more complex since then. So would I support um, looking at uh, overhauling the tax system uh, and starting from uh, ground zero and, and, and redoing it? Yes, I would. Thank you. And Ruslan? <clears throat> 
As you know, conservative government stands lower personal tax, business tax. We will introduce uh, tax, child tax, uh, free benefit tax. We actually see how it's impact with Canadians in the past four years. We see the life very expensive, so we will work hard, make sure hardworking Canadians, low-income families, a small business owners will have better life, affordable life, and we will create more jobs, and we will do everything to lower taxes. Thank you. Thank you. Andy? Thank you for the question. Um, I know the Chamber supports a commission to look at the uh, revision of our tax system. I know I would personally support that. The party hasn't come out with a position yet on that. But it has been before Apollo 11, I believe, and Neil Armstrong and the Sea of Tranquility since we last looked at this, if I'm correct. Um, our tax already, our, the platform that is currently out there, is there will be no tax on any Canadian under, who's making under $15,000. We're also the only party that's putting forward a dual flat tax. So the flat tax is going to be, of course, non-graduated, and the demarcation is $100,000. If you're under $100,000, it'll be 15%, starting at $15,000 of income. Above that will be 25%. We're going to get rid of the capital gains tax entirely. We're the only party that's going to do that. Uh, one party is status quo, another party wants to go to 75%, and another one, which may come out in this debate, is, I believe, 100%. So we'll maybe get that clarified today. We'll get rid of the carbon tax as well. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. And Candace. So the Green Party <clears throat> does have a very um, strong stance that we will create a parliamentary commission to revisit taxation as a whole for individuals. Uh, more particularly, we are committed to ensuring that SMEs uh, have a better fair shake at, uh, within the taxation system. And so uh, not all corporations are, are considered equal within the Green Party, and we want to address that with respect to making life easier for SMEs. Uh, with respect to major corporations, however, um, we are actually looking at doubling down in terms of creating new revenues. Uh, for example, the major uh, tech companies like Amazon of the world that is taking, uh, as far as I'm concerned, jobs out of our downtown, for example, uh, Google and Netflix will start to pay taxes here in Canada. We are looking at increasing the, uh, again, uh, large scale corporations, multinational corporations. Uh, the income tax rate will be raised from 15% to 21, which is actually in keeping with the US. I was quite shocked to find out that Canada's income tax rate for major corporations was actually less than the US. Um, but by and large for SMEs, that is exactly where we want to make sure that we are doing better to stimulate businesses. And Barrington. With regard to the question of simplifying the tax code specifically, I believe that was the question. Uh, I know that the Chamber in, in, I believe, May of 2019 uh, wrote MP Gerritsen a letter um, expressing precisely those sorts of concerns uh, about uh, changes in the economy and the ways in which, uh, the, I, I suppose, inherently the, the argument was that the... Uh, the inherently difficult tax code was, was uh, like a hinder on businesses and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, the NDP doesn't have any explicit policy on simplifying the tax code. What we do want to do is to make sure that ordinary working uh, men and women have access to financial advisors and financial advice in order to help them navigate the tax code. Uh, 
if the question is also asking about whether or not we'd move to something like a flat tax, uh, the NDP has no policy or no intention of moving toward a flat, ta flat tax. We believe that flat taxes are regressive um, and we are in favor of a progressive, fair tax system that taxes people according to their means. Thank you, Barrington. Question two. The federal deficit is estimated to be nearly 20 billion by 2020. What is your party's plan to reverse this trend? And first speaker is Ruslan. As I remember, uh, Mr. Trudeau said he will balance the budget by 2019. Oh, sorry, the budget will balance himself. We see the results, didn't. Then he said uh, one week ago, Canadians, they okay with more deficit. Let's spend more money. They don't care about deficits. We are, I care and Conservative Party care, so we'll make sure the budget will balance and we'll, um, we will cut carbon tax. We will cut uh, $1.5 billion uh, corporate welfare, as we see the, uh, the money goes to rich companies, welfare, so the reality, we cannot afford the deficits. As you know, right now we're paying $26 billion interest alone a year, means $80 million a day. What that money can do for Canadians, for Kingston, for Canada, for all these people. So we have to be have physical responsible government, and the best choice is conservative government. Thank you. Thank you. Andy? So our party position is really clear. By year two of our term, we will balance the budget. No other party up here is going to balance the budget. Now I'm going to turn to my green friend, my green opponent. Um, they do have a plan they're stating, which will be balanced on the fifth year, if I understand. However, there's a big omission in their budget. I went through it in great detail. And they're absolutely committed, quote, end quote, to the UBI. It comes up by different names, but it's a universal basic income. The most conservative number to be assigned to that by the PBO, the Parliamentary Budget Officer, is 76 billion. Even with net offsets from federal uh, programs, it still ends up being around 44 billion. But there are other numbers ranging as high as 162 billion to implement that to affect 7.7 .7 million people in this country. Here's a long and short of it. The hole we're digging right now is deep. We're neck deep in debt. And the current government doesn't even care to even put it in their budget. And there's no other parity up here. And the NDP, on Evan Solomon, about a month or so ago, uh, Mr. Singh was asked by Evan Solomon, when do you plan to budget, balance the budget? And he didn't answer the question. And Mr. Solomon was very polite. And he said, sir, with respect, you haven't answered my question. And Mr. Singh still didn't answer it. So I'm answering it. It's year two. The Greens. Their numbers are blown to smithereens by that one line item, line item they left out. Thank you. And Candace, you're up next. <laughs> well, Not Andy. Uh, so, uh, yes, the, the guaranteed basic income is a very, very complex plan, and it's going to take a lot of negotiating with the provinces. Um, what Andy, uh, you know, with all due respect in terms of the PMO's uh, numbers, we're actually looking at about $48 billion. But I don't want to spend tons of time on this particular line item because 
one of the ways in which um, the, the guaranteed basic income becomes important is because it will also allow us to address things like our, our very um, inequitable uh, EI system, which also two businesses are paying into. Um, it will allow us to streamline a lot of the bureaucracy that is currently happening with respect to social services. So while uh, Andy has talked about the expense of it, he's not talked about the savings that would come from creating a universal program that gets rid of the massive bureaucracy that goes into implementing a whole host of programs like OW, for example, ODSP, et cetera. Now, about the budget, yes, we are committed to uh, uh, balancing the budget in five years. A lot of that will have to do with um, really turning off the taps to the fossil fuel industry to the turn tune of $3 billion and other savings, uh, as I've mentioned, uh, with less bureaucracy. Thank you, Candice. And Barrington. Uh, the... Uh as I said in my opening remarks, the NDP is committed to making a series of targeted social investments in Canadians as a way of creating the conditions under which business can flourish. Our approach uh, to debt is to responsibly manage our debt to GDP ratio over a 10-year time horizon according to fiscal parameters set by the Parliamentary Budget Office. When the conditions are right and when it is responsible to do so, our government will endeavor to pay down debt and to uh, address deficits. But we believe as a party that the first order of business because of years of neglect in terms of our social and economic infrastructure, the public infrastructure, we need to invest in people because there's been a massive underinvestment and neglect of people. Um, and I think we're at a period akin to where we were, we were at the end of the, the, the Second World War with regard to making the kinds of targeted investments in people and in communities that will later translate into economic prosperity. It worked before, it will, it will work again. Um, and our New Deal for People is based on the New Deal that, as you know, uh, was tremendously beneficial and laid the groundwork for the economic success that we had, the New Deal that was implemented in the 1930s. So that's where our policy is on that issue. Thank you, Barrington. And Mark. I'll start with a stat. This country is 152 years old. Conservatives have been in power 36% of the time and racked up 57% of the debt. Now, before you say it was all about circumstance and when it was, out of the last 19 budgets introduced by conservative governments in the House of Commons under Stephen Harper and um, Brian Mulroney, 16 of them ran deficits. The, two, the three that ran surpluses, Two were on the heels of Paul Martin's $13 billion surplus, and the other was in 2015 when they slashed veteran services, sold off shares of GM at bargain prices to produce a balanced budget in time for the election. So why do they do it? Why do all governments do it? Because they know they can measure it against their GDP. It's about fiscal responsibility and fiscal policy. Jason made a really good point in his, uh, in his uh, remarks at the beginning. You gotta be careful. Because if your GDP tanks, then you run into a problem where you don't have the income to service that debt. So it's about your fiscal policy, what you're investing in. Look at Doug Ford. He slashed for the 1% and cut the services, but the debt is still increasing. As a matter of fact, to service that debt, it's more expensive now because the credit rating of the province went down. It's about what you're investing in when you take on that debt. Thank you, Mark. Third question. Red tape is often seen as a top issue facing business. What will your party do to ensure that it is, there is a decrease in the regulatory environment to enhance business prosperity in Kingston and across Canada? And our first speaker is Barrington. 
The NDP is committed to making sure that small businesses exist in a an environment that where they're able to thrive. We're going to reduce the costs for small businesses, uh, in, including um, getting rid of the discriminatory tax policy against uh, inheritance. So if somebody wants to pass their business on to a family member, we're going to lo lower the costs of doing that. If uh, somebody, uh, in, in terms of businesses saying, well, I'm having to deal with things like uh, credit card fees, we're going to lower those. So those are two of the sorts of policies that we're going to implement uh, to make it easier for businesses, particularly small and medium-sized businesses, uh, to thrive and continue to contribute to, uh, to Kingston's prosperity. Thank you. Thank you, Barrington. Candice? So the Green Party, as I've said, is committed to SMEs. Um, I think it's a, a careful balance between uh, cutting red tape but also creating new investment opportunities to help business startups and expansions. So in terms of cutting red tape, one of the uh, policies that the Greens are putting forward is, again, looking at taxation across the board but also your contributions to things like EI and CPP, um, where really the feds need to be doing a better job and making things easier for you and cutting the bureaucratic expenses that go with some of those, um, with the implementation of those uh, programs. But we're also creating two new funds. Uh, one is going to be a venture capital fund for um, businesses that want to engage in the green economy. And the other one is also a risk management fund uh, for, again, uh, businesses tr trying to deal with uh, things around climate change, so changes to insurance, et cetera. Uh, we want to make sure that small businesses are also prepared for what's coming. So uh, we're taking two, two approaches here, one regulatory and one trying to enhance the services that we provide to small business and medium-sized business. Thank you, Candice. Andy. Thank you. So going back to my opening remark, we are the one party, the only party up here that does believe in limited government, which means less regulation and red tape, and trusts you to live your own lives. So most recently we've demonstrated that by our recent policy announcement on the Indian Act and Aboriginal issues. We're the only party that's come out with this, such a clear statement that we are basically going to dismantle that act. It's patriarchal, it's long antiquated, and it's in conflict with our Constitution. I also talked about how we're a party that respects the Constitution. I know the Chamber has a position, I was doing some reading last night, about the two-for-one regulation, where you, if a regulation comes in, you'd like to see two go out. We're probably the only party would like to say you're being too modest. I think we could probably do three-for-one on that one. And um, essentially, we're, we're the one party here that does not believe in regulation, try to get as much of this choking regulation out as we possibly can. So, thank you. Thank you, Andy. And it is Mark up next. Um, one of the first things that we did, uh, um, or one of the things I should say that we did during the last four years was lower the small business tax, uh, uh, corporate tax rate from 11 to 9%. We're now the lowest amongst the G7 countries in terms of corporate tax rate. But I'd say that one of the other things that we're looking, really looking uh, to tap into in uh, the employment or, or in the entrepreneur market is women. There's a huge opportunity here if we can get more women who, want, who are looking at being entrepreneurs um, to get into being an entrepreneur. Do you know that there are more people named James listed in the Fortune 500 uh, companies than there are women? 
we need to tap into this part of our economy that has been, uh, you know, uh, for one reason or another, not been able to explode into the economy. That's why we've been investing and working with Queen's University, I see there's some folks from Queen's here, to get more women who want to be entrepreneurs into the positions uh, that they can successfully uh, start up a new business and, and get the resources uh, and, uh, and, and tools that they need in order to make that a reality. Thank you, Mark. Ruslan. Thank you. In the past four years, <clears throat> we all know uh, to run business, it's more expensive. So conservative government will do uh, several measures to support small businesses. First, <clears throat> repeat Trudeau tax increase on small business investments, exempt spouse from Trudeau's tax increases on small business dividends, make it easy to navigate Canada's tax system and the Canada Revenue Agency, reduce federal regulation by 25%, implement two-for-one rule for new regulations, and we will assign minister who will report directly to Prime Minister, make sure red tape gets cut down, and mandate, uh, and we will be champion for small business owners in Canada. And you all remember, Mr. Trudeau says then small business owners, the wealthy tax cheats. Uh, I don't think so. So thank you very much. Thank you, Ruslan. Question four. What solutions does your party have to fix the availability of housing in our region? In our region. And Candice, if you could start us off, please. Um, we are in crisis. Um, for anyone, as we describe, who's on a quote-unquote fixed income in particular, so that can be young people who are uh, working in precarious work for minimum wage, that can be seniors trying to eke out uh, their lives on the CPP, that can include um, single parent families. Uh, the rents are incredible. And the Greens are very specific about uh, two different sets of policy streams, one for rental uh, rental stock and one for home ownership. With respect to rental, which I think is the most important uh, piece here in Kingston, I've only got one minute, is we are looking at creating, revamping uh, co-op housing stock. And not just from the perspective of housing, but also to create wraparound care for some of our mo more vulnerable populations. That would include seniors, that could include uh, youth and people with mental health and disability. Um, and so the idea here is that not only are we going to create new housing stock, but also uh, create community environments whereby people can also have the services that they need on site close by to where they live. Thank you, Candice. Barrington. Hi. Uh, housing is central uh, to the NDP strategy to help Canadians uh, live more affordable, prosperous lives. The NDP is committed to building 300 units of housing across the country, or 500,000 units of housing, rather, across the country. Uh, and as your MP, if I'm elected, I'd fight to get a good percentage of those here in Kingston. In terms of folks who want to buy houses, you want to double the tax credit that first-time buyers get to $1,500 uh, to make entering the housing market uh, a little easier for Canadians. Uh, we also want to tweak CMHC, CMHC rules in order to allow for uh, co-mortgages as well to make buying arrangements more flexible. And uh, one of the reasons why um, 
rents are going through the roof in Kingston and real estate's going through the roof is the financialization of housing markets and uh, foreign buyers. So we want to uh, put a tax on foreign buyers as well to, to try and cool market conditions to allow people to be able to buy houses, ordinary Canadian men and women. Thank you, Barrington. Mark. Um, so affordable housing is everything from uh, rent geared to one's income all the way up to affordable mortgages as far as I see it. I know there's at least one city councillor here, I see Simon Chappelle there, and I know that in their strategic plan that city council put forward, they said that they're looking for $13 million from other levels of government to assist with them building affordable housing in Kingston. Uh, the um, uh, federal government uh, launched about two years ago, a year and a half ago, the National Housing Strategy, and in that is $40 billion over a 10-year period um, to supply uh, affordable housing throughout Canada. Uh, I will work with uh, City Council and the Mayor uh, to make sure that uh, we can achieve uh, as much of that $13 million as possible. I would point out that um, that $13 million, they're, they're indicating in their strategic plan that it should be coming from both the provincial and federal government, but my sense is we probably won't see much from Doug Ford, so we're really going to be having to rely on the federal government uh, to, to come in and to build uh, uh, affordable housing uh, with the city as a partner uh, as we move forward. Thank you, Mark. Ruslan? The first thing we have to understand, we have to make life more affordable so we can afford houses. And a conservative government will work with provincial government, with municipal, so we can uh, cut red tape. We all know that we have a regulatory barrier stopping uh, in Kingston, the wall of houses. As a builder, I know in fact the uh, uh, materials labor went over the roof, everything expensive, we have no land, and federal government will actually help release some free land, federal land for housing, and I will work very tight with uh, municipal government and provincial as a conservative MP, I will have actually key for Doug Ford to go directly to his door and bring money here. And, I, and uh, this, uh, this is my approach and who know me, I will get job done. So thank you very much. Thank you, Ruslan. Question five. If elected, what policies will your party put forward to address climate change? I think this is going to be a hot topic. And Andy, you start the way. So, thank you. I'm just imagining the faces behind me. I'll repeat my earlier statement. I'm sure you all heard it though. We're pulling out of the Paris Agreement. It is a fable. Now that term fable actually comes from a Queen's environmental law professor here in Kingston. And it, actually, he called it a fairy tale. And it was in a Financial Post op-ed last year. His name is Bruce Party, so you can fact-check that yourself. But here's why I agree with his statement. There is a statement, which I will read to you. It's a very short quote by a member of the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So before I say anything, you go, like, what the heck are you saying? Or what credentials do you have to make those statements? The statement is this. Quote, it was made in 2010, so before the Paris Agreement was actually signed. One has to free oneself from the illusion that international climate policy is environmental policy. Instead, climate change policy is about how we redistribute de facto the world's wealth. 
So when you actually look at Paris, and actually, essentially all Paris is is a bunch of sheets of paper that have been stapled together. Each country has a sheet of paper, and they've made a commitment. If you look carefully at the wordings, let's just begin with China. China is considered a developing nation. One minute is passed. Boy. Thank you, Andy. I know. I told you it was going to be a hard day. <laughs> One second. I respect the clock. And Mark. I'll pick up on where Andy left off, China. <laughs> China is actually um, outpacing the U.S. in terms of its commitment to renewable energy. We have this notion out there that China is somehow way far behind us. China believes in, in um, climate change. They know what's happening. But more importantly, they want energy independence. So it just makes sense. What we need to do, and uh, we need to get off fossil fuels as quickly as possible. It's, and it might not be a popular statement in this crowd, but it's one of the reasons why I was one of three liberals who opposed the purchase of a pipeline. I don't think we should be subsidizing the fossil fuel industry. I think we need to be moving to clean tech as quickly, quickly as possible. And I think that it's extremely important that we, start, that we make polluters pay. When you put out your garbage at, the, at the, the, the street curb, it's being paid for. Your taxes are picking that garbage up and bringing it to a, a landfill. Well, the same thing should happen when you're polluting. When you're putting CO2 into the air that's having a negative impact on our environment, you should pay for it. But guess what? It's going to, and you know this better than any other audience, it's going to incentivize people to make different choices. Just like how we moved from the incandescent light bulb to the uh, compact fluorescent to the LED, because we realized that as we did that, we could see a personal savings. And it's the exact same concept. We incentivize the marketplace by, act, by encouraging people to make different choices. And if we can do that, we can, make, uh, we can have a genuine effort at moving away from the pollution that we're, uh, that's causing uh, global warming. Thank you, Mark. Barrington. The NDP recognizes that we're in the midst of a climate emergency. Uh, the evidence on this is irrefutable. The first thing that we will do is end subsidies to oil and gas corporations. We are also um, going to stick firm to our commitment to leave fossil fuels in the ground. We are going to cut carbon emissions by 50% by 2030. We're going to create 300,000 green jobs that will also help to kickstart the local economy. And as we do this, we're going to bring workers with us because one of the things that the NDP believes is that when we switch to a post-carbon economy, we don't want to leave working Canadians and ordinary Canadians behind. We want everyone to try and share in the benefits of this change that we are going to make from carbon to post-carbon. Thank you, Barrington. And it goes to Ruslan. Thank you. The first, we have to remove, scrap the carbon tax. Do nothing to our environment. We believe on green technology versus taxes. We will introduce green uh, rebates for improve your homes. As a builder, my company certified net zero homes. So I'm practicing for five years. I, I build net zero home because I believe climate change and conservative government believe climate change. But we have to be champion in green technology, not tax the people. So we introduce a green tax for transit, so that will save people money, people encourage people to take more public transit, and we believe we have to fight climate globally, not punish Canadians. Thank you, and Candice? 
This is our jam. We're the Green Party. Uh, read Mission Impossible. I can't tell you this in a minute. What I will emphasize is what we can do here locally. Uh, we envision with the funding that's going to go in for both institutional as well as residential um, upgrades to get to um, uh, zero emissions and ensuring that our people are not suffering from um, energy poverty, we will be creating hundreds of thousands of jobs across the region in terms of construction, in terms of new opportunities for education, in, in engineering, in, in uh, all a plethora of trades that will relate to the new green economy and how we build. Um, we will be working with Queen's University in terms of seeing what opportunities we have in terms of, again, green manufacturing. Um, I, I want to plant the seed again with all of you. Hemp, our hinterlands, soil is our friend. Soil is going to be a key part in terms of how we deal with uh, getting uh, GHCs down. And be, buyer beware, uh, all the parties, or not all the parties, those parties with a plan are saying uh, zero emissions by uh, 2050. We're pledged to 60% cuts by 2030. They're not going to make their targets by 2050. Only the Greens will. Thank you very much, Candice. And the last question from the Chamber and the Advocacy Committee is... What is your personal statement to the Kingston business community? Mark. My personal statement would be that, um, uh, you know, both as uh, mayor and uh, as MP, I believe that I've advocated on behalf of uh, uh, small business in particular in our area. Um, making sure that uh, we have the infrastructure that we need, whether that's uh, separating our storm and water sewers in downtown Kingston or helping to build the infrastructure to move people around uh, the city. Um, as uh, your member of parliament, uh, and if you cho choose to re-elect me, I'll continue to be a strong advocate for you uh, in Ottawa, making sure that Kingston get its, gets its fair shake. You know, one of the benefits of having been in municipal politics before this is that when I got to Ottawa, I exactly knew what to do. I hit the ground running. I knew exactly where I had to go to get the money for the third crossing. I knew exactly how to go and push the buttons um, to uh, you know, convince uh, um, the government to deliver on its promise to reopen the prison farms. Um, I think that, that those skills that I had uh, previously have really paid off and have uh, you know, uh, given me the ability to properly represent you in Ottawa. Thank you, Mark. Ruslan. As a small business owner, I know from first hand how tough run business. And my approach, we have to encourage and help small business owners. Because uh, if we help small business owners, we will create more jobs. We will uh, boost the economy. So as an XMP, I will work very hard and my life experience, and I will no need uh, many, many years to learn how to run in R1 offices because I have life experience. I accomplished in 14 years uh, here things in Canada. So what I try to say, I'm the best option for this uh, election. We need change. We need change after 31 years liberal establishment we need to refresh Kingston and look life from different angle. Thank you. Thank you very much. Andy. I don't have a business background. My background is the RCMP for 28 years. 
And as I said earlier, those same qualities are within me. So the one thing I actually do know about myself, or well, two things, is one, I am not afraid to stand up, evidence of the fact that I'm wearing purple in this campaign, because the reason I'm not with blue is because I did stand up and wouldn't change. Um, the other thing, too, is I, I think back to, at the time, it was, for a short period of time, the biggest case in Canada. I was actually told at the time, if you fumble this case, we may not get our UN Security Council seat. It was the Iraqi helicopter case. And learning curves and learning things don't, uh, I'm not afraid of those. So obviously the business world would be new, but there's a lot of people in this room that could guide me and help me as I go forward. But you need somebody to stand up. But talk's cheap, just to hear me say that means nothing. What I will tell you is I took the RCMP to court, to federal court, it was a five-year fight, the Privy Council was brought against me, and I fought them, and in the end, I won. It was just myself and one other RCMP officer, and that is now labor law in Canada. So again, that's just to back up what I've said, and that's what you need in Ottawa, because I disagree with Mr. Gerritsen, and maybe we'll get a chance in this campaign what remains to engage, but he has not stood up for this. Today. One minute more. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> and uh, Candice. Well, I believe that I'm the best candidate to be MP for Kingston the Islands. I'm a constellation builder. It's what I've done my whole career. In economic development, I consulted with a variety of different businesses with different interests, was able to connect the dots and actually grow the pie for everyone. I've been working across sectors. I've been working across disciplines for the past 15 years in interdisciplinary research, in community building, and I feel I bring those attributes to this community in terms of being able to see the big picture. Because yes, we do need change, but not incremental change. We've had incremental change and tinkering for 30 years. We need fundamental changes. We need to move away from the carbon economy, and I'm the person who can help the business community do that. I'm the one who can mobilize our citizens in terms of the buy-in for this, media buy-in, ensuring that we're all working on the same page and that we're actually making the world a better place for all of us. And strangely enough, that doesn't actually have to cost. By building the economy into the 21st century, we all win. Please, vote green, vote Christmas. Thank you very much, Candice. And Barrington. As uh, some of you know, I think, or most of you know, I am a lifelong educator. Uh, the values that helped me get to this point in my life, things like hard work, deferred gratification, and discipline, I know are all values that you all share as business leaders in Kingston. And one of the reasons why I was able, as the child of immigrants, to be able to achieve this level of success is because I was fortunate enough to come along at a time when the Canadian government believed in making targeted investments in people and communities, and this is something that I think that we've left, let drift a little bit in our public and civic culture. So the NDP is committed, as I've said several times throughout this morning, to making those kinds of targeted investments in people and in communities. And the NDP, I encourage all of you to check out our platform because we have, I think, a bit of a bad rap of being a party that is not friendly towards the needs of businesses. We have many policies that are geared towards making an environment more amenable for small and medium-sized businesses. And yes, it is true that we want larger businesses to pay a little bit more to be, to be able to reinvest in the kind of things that we're talking about here. So thank you for the opportunity to speak with you this morning. 
And I want to assure everybody in the audience that we are a party that believes in investing in people and in communities, but we're also a party that realizes and understands the important role that business leaders play in our community. Thank you so much. Thank you, Barrington. Love, love, rescue me. Hold back the river and part the sea. Cause I know change, change is the devil's breed. Hold back the river and part the sea. Wind, blow, go and spread that seed. Hold back the river and part the sea. Because I know the shore is a place for me. Hold back the river and part the sea. Hold back the river.
And that was Emily Bashel, local musician here, right here in Kingston. And that song was called Gone. We also heard from local greats, uh, often uh, seen downtown on the scene. That was Oak Ridge Avenue, and the song was Endless Nights. And we started off the set with Miss Emily, Gord Sinclair, and Rob Baker. And that song was called Hold Back the River from the album In Between. And now we're going to dive right back into uh, question period, questions from the audience uh, at the Kingston and the Islands All Candidates MP debate that uh, happened this morning at the Renaissance venue in Kingston, Ontario. So let's dive right back in. Thanks for listening to CFRC 101.9 FM. All right. Now we're going out to the audience. So just as a reminder, you have a question. Please, you have one minute to respond to your question. A question, not a statement. So, and then you please just indicate who. I got the first one back here, and we'll come this way. Hugh McKenzie, Kingston Destination Group. Same question I asked four years ago. NATO pledge 2% of GDP to defense spending. Kingston is a military town. Trump calls us out, quite rightfully, that we are not spending to our commitment. What is the commitment going forward of each party? Who is the question to? Is it to Mark? You just do a single question. Well then, Mark, what I I called out the the conservative government four years ago for not living to that commitment. In fact, they had decreased military spending as a part of um, uh, over their four years. The highest level of military spending was actually dates back to Trudeau one. What has the government done to support our military, specifically? related to getting to that 2% aspirational commitment to NATO? That is an excellent question, and I'm much more prepared to answer it now than I was four years ago, having had the opportunity to sit on the National Defense Committee for four years. What I can say is that the biggest problem with the 2% is it doesn't account for people showing up. Canada shows up. There are a lot of countries who are spending 2% that just don't show up. I was in Latvia um, for Operation Reassurance um, with our Defense Committee, and it was so inspiring to see people, uh, the Defense Committee from a chair from Latvia say, the reason why other countries like Poland and Italy want to come to uh, Latvia and be under this brigade is because it's being led by Canada. The problem is, is the 2% doesn't capture the value that a country and its reputation brings. Having said that, strong, secure, and engaged, the plan that the federal government uh, released uh, with respect to its military focuses on spending more money on uh, the uh, individuals and training and the resources and tools that individuals need as opposed to the infrastructure uh, build out. So also, I would just say that on the Defense Committee, I did vote in favor of, uh, of pushing the government uh, through one of our reports to increase that spending to get as close to 2% as possible, but notwithstanding the fact that there are other variables that have to be weighed into that equation, and it can't be strictly based on economic participation. Thank you, Mark, and thank you for the question, Hugh. Deborah. Hi, Deborah Dobing, Strategic Benefits. I own a um, consulting firm here in Kingston specializing in group benefits and group retirement solutions. So my question is for Mr. Gerritsen. Um, just to give you a stat, not you, but the group, um, prescription drugs alone represent $12 billion in Ontario, and about $15 billion also um, 
a premium is attached to that. So the federal government charges a 2% premium tax and the Ontario government too. And the Ontario government um, charges an 8% uh, retail sales tax. So with all of that in the PharmaCare plan, with all the revenue lost and potential jobs lost, question, how does your party plan to fund the revenue and job loss along with a publicly funded um, health plan, drug prescription drugs? Um, and I think it's important that um, all the candidates answer this question because I know everybody has something on, on health care. But, uh, you know, this is not an easy thing. It's not something that through one bill you can pass a universal pharmacare plan. This is something that's going to require um, sitting down and, and working out deals with provinces and getting everybody to come on board so that it gets the same kind of buy-in that our Medicare has. You, you can't, a federal government can't do this alone. It has to do it with its provincial government. As it relates specifically to the people that are affected by this, um, I know that this would be part of the, 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 the plan as it's worked out. Just like when you know farmers are affected by uh, policy decisions that uh, the federal or provincial governments bring in, there's always the consideration of what happens to um, labor and uh, people that are employed in that particular sector. Candace, would you like to respond as well? Um, so with respect to PharmaCare, um, first and foremost, PharmaCare has been on the books, the policy books for at least 15 years in terms of being fully costed and actually considered to be um, a win-win in terms of, uh, it, it's not a cost when we look at the savings um, to the healthcare sector. Um, and the Greens are actually committing the most money, uh, $28 billion to this particular program um, because uh, we feel that a lot of the other parties are underestimating what the cost is going to be. With respect to human resources, um, certainly one of the things that the Greens are looking at is, is cutting red tape and cutting expense with respect to administering programs. That being said, we want to absolutely ensure that people are retrained and reskilled in other areas. And so there are lots and lots of opportunities in terms of the green economy to reskill people into different areas. And one of the things we want to do uh, as well is actually more globally con uh, consult with the uh, um, insurance industry as a whole to really start talking about the mitigation that's going to be required to deal with climate change. There's a whole host of things that we need to work on and we, I would envision that people like that with those skills would fit right into those types of portfolios. Thank you, Candice. Barrington? So the PharmaCare program that the NDP is envisioning, um, what it, we believe that it will solve, that it will save small businesses about $600, uh, $600 per year. Um, it's also a means-tested program uh, so that uh, folks making under 70,000 uh, wouldn't, uh, would, would qualify the, for the program. Those making over would not. Between 70 and 90, we have kind of a sliding scale of, of co-payments. So ours is a program because we realize that it's gonna be tremendously expensive to administer this program. We've made the decision to make it uh, a means tested program. Um, I didn't get a chance to talk about our fiscal approach and the change we're going to make in tax policy, but we also believe that the changes that we're going to make in tax policy uh, by taking a little bit more from those at the very, very top, at the, the 1% um, and, and above, will offset some of the administrative costs associated with implementing this program. Thank you, Barrington. Ruslan? Um, I'm only here 14 years, but I wrote uh, a little bit of history of Canada. And I noticed liberals in 1997 brought uh, PharmaCare, then 2004, then nothing happened 2015, then now they again bring back uh, PharmaCare. 
what Conservative Party will do, we guarantee increase at least 3% healthcare. We will uh, invest $1.5 billion for uh, CT MRI machines. This is minimum what we're gonna do. So we believe uh, on uh, social programs on healthcare, so we'll increase at least 3%, and we have to make sure the money gets here to um, uh, properly to Kingston and to pharmacists. Thank you, Ruslan. And Andy. So our party's position, because of our respect for the Constitution, is we recognize that health care is a provincial jurisdiction. So in this case, everybody that's saying anything up here, all their plans have to pass through the current Ford government. So that's one thing you need to know. The devil's in the details here. In terms of our, how we're going to approach this is we're tired of the bickering that Ottawa has annually with the provinces over how much the provinces claim they're not getting enough money and then Ottawa ties more strings to it. What we are going to do is as a party or a government, we are going to surrender our portion of the federal GST, which is very close to what the health transfer is currently. There will be a few provinces that are in a shortfall position and we'll subsidize that as we make this transition. But again, devil's in the details. So for quite a few years, I sat on a federal board here of retirees, federal retirees, and there was an issue that cropped up, and I was doing some reading in the past weeks, and I noticed that the liberals here locally, not locally, but nationally, are not saying everything. There's things they're not addressing. They're going to come out after October 21st. And here's one. The PSHCP, which is a health premium on federal retirees, everyone pays it when they're retired, PDSP, which is dental, they seriously looked at that, the liberals, are looking for revenue streams because of the deficit, and they're going to tax that as income. And that's something they're not talking about. But that's a significant amount of money, no matter how much your premiums are, whether you're somebody that's paying a low premium on a low income, but that's something you're not going to hear from the Liberals out loud. But after October 21st, they're going to put a tax on that as income. Thank you, Andy. Question? So here and then there. Um, I guess I'll direct it at uh, Mark, but it's unfortunate that they can't all answer. And full, dis and full disclosure, I am a school board trustee. So, um, but my... What I haven't heard uh, today is anybody talking about education. I realize that it's a lot provincial, but when we come to post-secondary education and we come to, no matter what business you're in, you rely on the future. Um, and the cost and the debt, and what particularly, and I really wish everybody could answer, what particularly are you going to do to help the students of today and tomorrow to actually be able to attend post-secondary education? That is an excellent question. Um, and, uh, you know, it's extremely unfortunate. I have a 15-year-old who is in grade 10 now and will be through high school during the entire time of the Doug Ford cuts. And I'm seeing firsthand the programs and services that are being uh, eliminated uh, from our secondary school uh, system as a result of that. Um, we cannot allow that same thing to happen at the federal level. That's why the federal government has kicked in um, you know, uh, a longer grace period for paying back the federal portion of uh, OSAP, uh, of the federal student loan. Uh, the federal government is investing in Queen's University and investing in building out Mitchell Hall and the renovations to Botterill Hall, investing in the programs and research that Queen's University does. Um, but you know, it's extremely important that we set up, when my parents graduated from high school, graduating from high school was seen as the end 
and then you could go on to work. Now getting an undergrad isn't even enough. You have to do post-grad work. And so the debt that is being piled on uh, younger generations as a result of just getting to the same bar that my parents got to from graduating high school is something that needs to be seriously looked at. This federal government has demonstrated over the last four years that it's interested in being an active yes, uh, a player in that, and I'll end it there. <laughs> I'm getting good at this. You're getting really good at it. Barrington. At first you were standing off to the side. Now you're like walking right in on us. Getting in your faces now. The rest of the candidates, do you want to ask, answer this question? Barrington. Uh, I'll be brief. Um, as an educator. Okay, so be brief. I will. I'll honestly be brief. As an educator, I've been a faculty member at Queen's for 18 years, so this is something that I've witnessed uh, firsthand, that even at a university with students who are relatively affluent compared to other institutions I've been engaged with and involved with, that we're beginning to see the the increasing, uh, the, the effects of increasing, the increasing cost of education. So the NDP party uh, platform around this is, is, is quite simple. Uh, we eventually want the post-secondary school system to be part of the K-12 system, right? So we want to fund uh, eventually um, education from K all the way through to an undergraduate degree. Uh, we also want to make it a little more difficult for uh, lenders to profit from student debt. So we want to we want to close down some of that, um, and we also want to bring back uh, the grant system. Right, the federal one of the ways that we can intervene, although this is in provincial jurisdiction, uh, is to make sure that we bring back the federal grants program. Thank you, Barrington, Candice. Um, so, uh, geez, I've been uh, an administrator at Queen's in three different departments, so uh, I know how universities work. I've been uh, in the uh, in the PhD program at York, uh, so I've also been a laborer. Uh, I have undergrad and, and graduate degrees, so I've seen it pretty much from every angle. What I'm really impressed with the Greens is that uh, one of the things we're striving for is to eventually actually eliminate tuition uh, entirely to ensure that our workforce is not only competitive here, but also competitive internationally. Um, we want to also um, emphasize that we have significant money in the budget in terms of training programs for youth as young as creating apprenticeships in high school to start working in the green economy. And that will involve jobs from everywhere from trades, construction level, right up to sophisticated engineering and biotech. So the Greens are very much committed to youth. In fact, I would argue we are the party of youth. We represent the future for children in education. Thank you, Candice. Andy, did you want a few words? This is excellent because I can bring up something that hasn't been brought up yet. When you look at who you're going to decide on October 21st to send to Ottawa, realize that person too has to work with your local MPP as well. And Ian Arthur is a great guy personally, and I've said that to him publicly at other events. So you have to pick somebody that can actually work with Ian. The, the benefit of myself in this instance, unlike my previous affiliation, I have no baggage. So I already have one idea, it's not my jurisdiction. I may be able to play a small role in it, but really it's gotta be Ian's, and I'm gonna take that to Ian. And in terms of the education aspect, again, I don't want you, if I ever hear me say that's not the uh, federal jurisdiction, that doesn't mean I'm not gonna be involved in some way in whichever way I can be. Thank you, Andy. Ruslan, no, you're okay? Thank you, gentlemen at the back. Hi, I'm Bob Clark with Metalcraft Marine. And uh, my question is directed at Mark. And Mark, I'd like to thank you for your service over the years. It's, uh, and you're a very good speaker, I have to say. Very, very impressed. Uh, but my question is about the uh, International Joint Commission and the severe flooding of 2017-2019 that has caused immense damage to Metalcraft Marine's business. Uh, the flooding is not climate change, Mark. 
It is mismanagement by the IJC of the implementation of Plan 2014. So Plan 1958 ran from 1958 to 2016, no flooding. Plan 2014 comes in, it's gonna raise the lake and the river level by two inches, they tell us, and it's more like two feet in 2019. Uh, the argument they, they keep saying of climate change and the, oh, severe precipitation, the reality is, no, we had less precipitation in 19 than 2017. Under the IJC rules, clause one on the conditions is the property owners, anyone here who is a waterfront property owner, business owners on the waterfront are entitled to indemnification from the works. That's the Moses Saunders Dam and the IJC and the federal government of Canada. How are we going to get paid? You just gave $20 million to Kingston for damage. We've suffered fifty dollars to $60,000 damage in the marina and lost revenue or profits of thirty dollars to $40,000. How will we claim that money back, Mark? Thank you, uh, Bob, and thanks uh, um, for everything that you do in the community. I, I just want to start by saying that Bob, um, at least uh, a, a couple years ago, it hasn't happened this year yet, is one of the few employers that invites all the candidates to come to his um, uh, uh, his place of employment so they can talk to the uh, employers so that they can then decide, uh, the employees, so they can decide to go uh, to who to vote for. So thank you for your your, your passion. Um, with, as respect to, with respect to the issue that you've raised, uh, specifically Plan 2014, um, it is an international um, joint uh, commission between Canada and the US that makes the decisions as to how to do that. I would argue that perhaps the data that they used when creating that plan was based on the um, what had been going on to that point. But I would, I think that by suggesting that climate change has nothing to do with it is a little bit disingenuous because the reality of the situation is, is that it's not just in our area that we're, we're seeing this. We're seeing this in all different parts of the world. We need to, you know, perhaps adjust the plan. And I know that you've reached out to my office a couple times about it um, as we move forward. Um, and I'd be more than uh, willing to continue to work on that uh, with you um, uh, if I'm re-elected. The other candidates, did you wish to make a comment? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's brief, Angie. I to get the Okay. <laughs> very, very brief. And then we'll, sorry, we'll take one more question. We have one question here. And then we'll go to closing remarks by each one of our candidates. So Unless two... there was another question that needed to go. No, you have less than This a came up. That's easy. This came up at uh, Wolf Island debate. Two of us were at Wolf Island, Candace and myself. I took an actual tour of the shoreline and looked at the damage approximately a week or two ago. And I'll tell you right now, thank you. I absolutely agree with you. It's not climate change. There is nothing about the level of Lake Ontario that is not human regulated. So what you're talking about, the Moses Saunders Dam, which is, and then you've got the Ottawa River behind, and you have what you put in place called F-limits, which protects essentially Montreal. The problem right now, what Mark is not addressing, and what I will do as an MP, first of all, we have to find out who the MPs are in this area. We'll get the four or five of them to stand shoulder to shoulder and we'll address the IJC. The triggers are set wrong. They're at least a foot right now on the F-limits, and I'm not sure what they are on the L-limits. And the L-limits have to do, F-limits Montreal, L-limit has to do the speed of the water going through and shipping. So, in answer to your question on uh, the damages, I'll look into that, and I will find out. And when I say I'll do something, I will do it, sir. Thank you, Andy. And our last question from the audience, Jimmy. 
Thank you very much. Uh, good morning, everyone. My question is, uh, being a small owner, uh, I have been raising this question time to time, and I think I did ask to Mark uh, four years ago the same question. <clears throat> being a small business owner and immigrant, uh, when I bought my business, I invest everything I have it, uh, saving or I brought away with me in this country. Since that, I'm struggling, and time to time, I go through the hardship to maintain that investment and make sure that my children has uh, what they need it and also helping the community and um, maintaining well I, I can. What I see at the, any government level, being a Canadian now, I never heard and never seen it, uh, that if I have a hardship and I lose my, my business, I have no backup, I have no help, which I can see from the government. What any government will do in, in the future to help those small business owners if they have a hardship, if they lose the business or something happened to it, to continue their, their life, the, the life standard they uh, achieve or to, to maintain that? Yeah, so, so back to uh, guaranteed basic income. So the Greens are very committed to what we call um, a guaranteed livable income for this very reason. Our economy is no longer the economy we had in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. We have, not only just for entrepreneurs, but we have so many people now, because of the changes to the labor laws and loosening, we have a lot of people in the gig economy. I am one of them. I totally empathize with you as a consultant. I have peaks and valleys. I'm well paid when I'm working, but I have to dip into my savings when I'm not. And yes, I have taken payday loans at 50% interest. It's really quite something. Um, but I always had a way out. Um, I think really we have to look at Canadians and the fact that uh, the gig economy, uh, the fact that we have so much more work now on contract, and, and this is professional work too. I've seen it happen at Queen's. I've seen it happen at KGH. So for entrepreneurs as well as professionals, we are vulnerable because our systems, EI for example, um, is, really based on, is really based on an old style economy. And so we need to find some ways to ensure that people can still pay their mortgage. Thank you, Candice. Mark? <laughs> Barrington first and then Mark. Uh, I'll be brief again. Uh, similarly, I think part of what you're talking about, Jimmy, is the fact that uh, when businesses go insolvent, the cost of living, affordability in other areas is so high that it's hard to get back on one's feet. So one of the things that we're committed to as a government is trying to make other areas of life more affordable and more manageable. We're going to try to make it easier for you to get your kids educated. We're going to implement the PharmaCare program. Uh, we're going to top up UI, uh, EI rather, not UI, and those sorts of things. So it's those sorts of targeted social investments that I think will help entrepreneurs like you who take, this, take the risks of employing people, of generating wealth in our communities, that when things happen and you stumble and you fall down, that the government is there to help you and, and provide you with a safety net, the sorts of safety nets that we used to have. And we're also gonna make it easier for you if you decide that you don't wanna be a restaurateur anymore and if you wanna go back to school and retrain and do something else, um, that while you educate your children, you can also pivot and, and, and embark on a new career. And the way that we do this is to make sure that we have a strong and healthy post-secondary sector, working in partnership with provincial governments, of course. Thank you, Barrington. Mark? Um, thank you very much. And uh, Jimmy, I think that uh, um, I agree with a lot of what uh, uh, Barrington just said. It's about creating the right environment um, so that you don't even have to get to that point uh, where you're looking for resources from the government. So some of the things that we've done is lower the uh, small business uh, corporate tax rate from 11% to 9%, putting us uh, very competitively against other countries uh, for businesses that are, are, have competition in other countries. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and it's also about making sure that the, the infrastructure 
infrastructure is there. You know, one of the things our employment insurance uh, uh, legislation dates back to a time when we didn't have nearly as many small businesses, right? So, the, uh, you know, most uh, employers uh, don't have the luxury of being able to tap into EI. Well, we need to look at our legislation, and this is my own personal perspective, to see, okay, well, how can we change this legislation so that it adapts to the fact that our labor market has changed? Businesses are getting involved in, in, uh, in uh, there are many more smaller businesses now with, with uh, sole proprietors and only a few employees like yourself. Thank you, Mark. Ruslan? Jeremy was asking a question. All these questions go back to affordability. You know, the, everything very expensive and we struggling. As a business owner myself, I can see like everything expensive. So, and I just wanna say, Mark, you mentioned liberal uh, reduce from 11 to 9% uh, small business tax but they also forgot to mention they increased 2% on dividends. And we have accounts here, they can actually explain better. So basically they don't did our life more of all or better. So we will focus on affordability, make sure we lower personal tax, small business tax, because we are the engine of economy. Thank you. Thank you, Ross. I got a qu question for Jimmy. Did they, anybody answer your question? No, not one of you. Okay. Not one of you. Okay, oh. brief. So I'll come back. So if this was an actual situation as opposed to hypothetical, the first thing of an MP is to be accessible. So whether it's a private office meeting, which I know sometimes, Mark, you don't make yourself available I mean, for. Jimmy in his restaurant I'm not talking about. <laughs> I know you do, and I've met question. him there too. But the, here's the answer. point. You don't, you're not accessible, Mark, at all. And I hope this comes out in the last remaining debates we have, because I'd love to lock horns with you on this. I'll meet with you. The other thing is town halls. I don't know how many town halls you've had. I know you've had one uh, with the, when the Prime Minister came here, and I think there was one other on uh, electoral reform. But you need to be accessible to people. Um, you don't sit there and give them a policy or platform pill and expect that to address their personal situation. So I just felt the color go on my cheeks. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Well, that concludes the question and answer period of our morning. And now to wrap up, we're going to have one minute closing remarks from each one of our candidates. And we're starting with Andy. One minute. Yes. Starts when I start reading, right? <laughs> this is timed. We do not inherit the land from our ancestors, we borrow it from our children. So what about the fiscal environment? Let's go back to the original statement that opened this up. We have permanent deficits. The Liberals do not even pretend to be committed to the budget being balanced, but add universal basic income, national pharmacare, dental care, free post-secondary tuition. We're not planning for the future if we're spending ourselves and our children into oblivion. Margaret Thatcher said the problem with socialism is you eventually run over other people's money. Balancing the budget by 2019 and first past the post, Mr. Gerritsen, are but two examples. But be wary of liberal promises. If, God forbid, Trudeau is returned to office, he'll be emboldened, and he will assuredly thwart any investigation in SNC-Lavalin. Mr. Gerritsen, Kingstonians have shared that they view you as aloof and disinterested. They describe you as having a tin ear and a callous heart. They want someone instead with a voice and a backbone. 
This is not a lazy river ride. I will hit the ground running. I will immediately address the Phoenix pay system fiasco, and I'll begin enacting our bold and comprehensive veterans platform. My name is Andy Brook, and I'd be honored if you give me your vote on October 21st. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Ruslan. I just want to remind everybody about positive vision for Canada from conservative government. Our main focus affordability and we will focus of how physical responsible government and ethical government so we don't have to have scandals all over the uh, corruption scandals and the conservative party has actually solid environmental plan it's 60 pages so it's online available and we are pro-immigration. Unfortunately, sometimes people said, how come you joined Conservative Party? They're against immigrants. I'm like, whoa, who told you this? Uh, the, the reason I'm here because Conservative Party actually opened the door for immigrants, skilled work, trade people like me as a carpenter, so I immigrate under economic immigration. And the second, we will make sure we commit everything and make life better. As a next MP, I will do everything possible to be champion for Kingston and the islands. Thank you. Thank you, Ruslan. Candice. Well, um, first and foremost, if you believe in the climate crisis, the Greens have the most stalwart plan of any party in this country. We are the only ones that are gonna make the IPCC targets. That being said, that is going to create a plethora of opportunities of jobs. It's going to create more opportunities for youth. We're pledging significant monies in terms of uh, re-educating folks and reskilling folks to get into the 21st century green economy. In terms of Kingston and the Islands, I think there is so much work to be done here. There are things that I haven't talked about, like, for example, mental health and addictions, which is my own personal crusade. Um, so I have vision for creating a wellness institute here uh, for youth. I have a lot of connections in terms of being able to, again, have a broader vision with respect to how our agricultural community, as well as our business communities, as well as we can develop manufacturing here, as well as interfacing with our higher learning institutions. I believe I'm the person with the vision. I believe our green platform is comprehensive, and it is a platform for the future. My name is Candace Christmas. I am asking for your vote on October 21st. Vote green, vote Christmas. Thank you, Candice. Mark. Uh, thank you very much, and thank you, uh, Karen, and the Chamber for putting this on uh, this morning. As a small business owner um, and a member of the Chamber of Commerce in about, since about 2003, I can um, appreciate uh, the passion and, uh, and the work that you, you've put into this. Um, four years ago, I decided to run to represent you because I believed it was time for change. And since then, we've seen real change. 800,000 fewer Canadians live in poverty. Our, our economy is one of the fastest growing in the world, and unemployment is the lowest since we started recording it in the 1960s. We have a choice in this election. The choice is we continue to move forward on this path or we go back to the Harper years and see what Doug Ford has done to our province, but do that at the federal level as well. And I'm asking you to choose forward. I'm asking you to choose to keep moving forward with a progressive agenda that works for everyone. Um, I'm asking you to support Pharmacare and more affordable housing in Kingston. So I'm Mark Erickson and I'm asking for your vote on October 21st. Thank you. Thank you, Mark and Barrington.
I'd like to thank the organizers for the opportunity to come here and speak with you today. There's two basic points that I want to make in my closing remarks. The first is to express my gratitude to all of you, to all of you in this room for the leadership position that you have in this city in terms of creating jobs and opportunities. And again, right, the NDP recognizes that you make an important contribution, perhaps one of the most important contributions to having a flourishing, successful economy in Kingston. The second major message that I've come here to, to uh, communicate to you today is that the NDP believes that it is time to make targeted investments in people and communities, right? So while at the same time, we are committed to creating the conditions under which small and medium-sized businesses can thrive. We're going to reduce some taxes on smaller businesses. We're also going to stand up for Canadian businesses when it, com when it comes to foreign countries imposing unfair tariffs. We're going to try and maintain protected access to Canadian markets. All of those things. At the same time, we believe that by having a well-educated, healthy, workforce, well-trained workforce, that that in turn are the sorts, the sorts of targeted social investments that will benefit the business community and benefit the country as a whole. My name is Barrington Walker. I'm your NDP candidate. And October 21st, I respectfully ask for your vote. Thank you very much, Barrington. And as I, is in closing for today, I want to say thank all of our candidates for being here today from Kingston and the Islands, and to you all come, for coming today for supporting your chamber. And of course, to our sponsor, Jason Selnick, and his team at M MNP, and of course, Paul and his staff here at the Renaissance for this fabulous venue, and the staff who served us today. So again, thank you for coming. Thank you to all of you for being here and participating. It was great. Thank you very much.
life's a bore when you're not here to destroy my wicked heart in the ashes of your runaway fire. Celebrate my dispositions while you tore them all apart. Trying to tell me that you love me while we're from the dark to the sound of the flames outside. And I wish you were mine. When I wish you were mine, I can't eat, can't sleep, can't pour my drinks. The first thing on my mind in the ashes of your runaway fire. Life's a chore and you're not here to destroy my wicked mind In the ashes of your runaway fire Your runaway fire Your runaway fire And I wish you were mine When I wish you were mine And I wish you were mine My runaway fire Fire, my runaway fire.
the train coming Rolling down the track I've got a one-way ticket No turning back You're still listening to CFRC 101.9 FM. I hope you enjoyed those wonderful local music selections. That was the wonderful songstress Jenica Rain from her album Hall of Memories. Or no, actually, the album Essential Elements. My apologies, Jenica. Jenica Rain, that was It's Never Too Late. And we started off uh, that tiny little musical set there with... Chris Coster as well, another great local great. And that song was called Runaway Fire, the loop pedal version. I hope you enjoyed both tracks right there. And I hope you also enjoyed listening to our uh, special coverage of the All Candidates MP debate hosted at the Renaissance event venue this morning, October 3rd from 8 till 9.30, an event put on that uh, put on by the Greater Kingston Chamber of Commerce. And thank you for the Chamber of Commerce for inviting CFRC to uh, record uh, the proceedings. And uh, we hope that our listeners enjoyed it and uh, learned much from it. But we're going to sign off now and uh, take a couple of uh, moments to have a quick break. But stay tuned. The Independent is coming up next. Diener's always got some really fantastic stuff. If you like local music, if you like indie music, if you like Canadian content, 
you know, the independent is the place to be and where you should uh, continue to lock in your dial. Right here on 101.9 FM, www.cfrc.ca, Kojiko Cable 282, Android and iPhone apps. And don't forget to check us out at podcast.cfrc.ca too for all of the fabulous podcasting that we also do right here in our studios. Thanks once again for tuning in to CFRC. And uh, yeah, independent coming up straight away.